HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Welcome to our last episode of the summer session. We start the show in Los Angeles meeting up with self-proclaimed California girl, Gabby Dalkin, who's a chef, blogger, and author of the new cookbook, What's Gabby Cooking? Everyday California Food. Then we come back to Brooklyn with Active Bird Community, whose new record, Amends, is coming out in September on Bar Souk who talks about the terrifying nature of putting yourself all out there in song. If you like what you heard and you're missing our voices for the rest of the summer, make sure to go back into our archives, listen to some old episodes, and leave us a rating and a comment while you're there. So sit back, relax, and welcome to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. to be yours just for you I don't care for what you care for for I am only just for you and it breaks my heart with you cause baby it's you baby it's you
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting here in beautiful, sunny California, and I say that because we are with Gobby Dalton, author, California girl of What's Gobby Cooking? Everyday California Food, second cookbook. Congratulations. Thank you. We're rocking some kombucha. Yes. This might be my most California moment. We are having a California girl morning. We are. We are. (laughs) So I have like an avocado in my bag. I got your cookbook on the table. (laughs) The booch is in front of me. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you. So So second. Yeah, second cookbook. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Thanks. Um, So, uh, you're a California girl now, Mm -hmm. but you started back in the Southwest, correct? Yeah, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, eating like all the Southwestern food and like heading down to Mexico every chance I could get. And for college, I moved up to San Francisco, and now I'm now I'm never leaving. You're never leaving. But do yeah. you ever miss those green chili, those hats chili I mean, cheeseburgers? all the time. You would think that they would have them out here. They, you would think they would have a lot more things in California that they don't. Like, it's funny. Some things just don't make it out here. I feel like they get stopped, like, at the California at border. At the border. Yeah. yeah. They're like, mm, nope, too nope. many, like, calories or something like that. I don't know. But we still go back to New Mexico all the time for hats chili season, and mm. I will live it up. I love them. I've I've only I've had them there and I've had them in like the hill country of Texas. So oh so good and they like roast them in those oh, like yeah. like par- parking lot roaster thing. Oh yeah, whatever they're called. I don't know. They're amazing. Lottery roasters. Yeah, basically. Right? Lottery <laughs> roasters. Um, so growing up, uh, did you love food? Picky eater. What, what 100% was it? One hundred percent a picky eater. Like, really. I buttered noodles and grilled cheese. I'm not exaggerating you until I was 17 years old. Uh, I had my first steak when I was in high school, my senior year at my friend's house. Her dad made steak, and it's all he made, and I was like, shit, I guess I'm going to have to try a steak. So were you actively not into food, or you just like, this is what I I like? I loved eating, but I loved eating, like, very basic things. And when my mom was a very picky eater and, like, doesn't like cooking, so there was just, like, very limited amounts of things at our house. We, like, grew up eating those. Do you ever have those Costco double chocolate chip muffins that are really just cake and muffin form? Yes. We would have those for breakfast every day. I'd have, like, a grilled cheese for lunch and, like, some sort of pasta for dinner or, like, and chicken here and there. You know, some people find comfort in food in the routine of it. Yeah, and I still love the Like, I, I love, like, there's this one salad on my blog that I would eat every night if I could. Shout it out. Which one? It's avocado kale Caesar. And yeah, well, And the dressing's course. made. It's basically, like, like a hummus dressing. Mm. It's so good. Vegan? <laughs> yeah. Mm. But you could add salmon or chicken or steak or whatever you want to put on it. Whatever. Yeah, but it depends on part of California you're in. Yeah. Because if you add that, then you might get kicked out of that True. part of California. True. <laughs> um, so you're not into food, but how did you eventually make your way into the food world? Yeah, so when I got to college, I started. I was on the tennis team and I started cooking for my team because it was my way of like sharing my love with okay. everybody. And I only knew how to make chicken parmesan. I was going to say, like, <laughs> here, they're like, we love you, but we can't have butter noodles here's for the so Here's a grilled cheese again. No, I learned how to make chicken parmesan. I watched the Food Network at the time when it was still like relevant. And I loved it and would cook for them every Friday night. And then after college, I got a job and the whole company folded like six months into me being there. And instead of going to find another job, I decided to go to culinary school. And... But how did you get there, though, for someone, and this is no offense, no, no. didn't really seem to think yeah, or care about food? because I loved eating, okay. and I wanted to know how to cook other things. Like, I had a boyfriend at the time who's now my husband, I loved entertaining people, so I just wanted to have more in my repertoire that I could, like, pull out 
And when I went to culinary school, I also got a job weirdly as a private chef, like week two. <laughs> Did they know about your background? Yeah, well, they were German and I'm German, so I feel like there was a lot okay. of like love there. But I, I told them, I was like, upfront, I was like, I don't know how to cook fish, I don't know how to do this, but like, I'm learning it next week in school. Um, and then my culinary school teacher told me, like, if you don't learn how to eat and make all these things, you'll never hack it in the culinary world. Sure. And at that point, I hadn't, I wasn't planning on being in the culinary world forever. This was just like a fun thing to do in the interim. Um, and I took that as a personal challenge. And now I eat basically everything. What's the, what's off the list? Any kind of awful. I'm not into it. Like any like. Did you intense. dabble at all? I've tried it all, but yeah. like it's not for me. Like I'm not gonna be like, oh my god, this intestine soup is so delicious. I've tried it. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Like okay. it's not my number one. Do you like pate? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not. See, I love like pate and things yeah. like that. But the idea of just being like, and here's some kidneys and livers and things like that. With you, hundred yeah. percent. Well, even though pate is liver, but just you know yeah. what I mean. Mm-hmm. So. um... What year is this that you're in cooking school? Uh, I started culinary school in 2009. Okay. And at this time, you also started your blog. Yeah. So the blog, the culinary school, and private chefing literally all started within two weeks of each other. So let's set the scene for people who might not remember what nine years ago about um, the food blog scene was. Yeah. What was the landscape? It was... Well, first it was ugly. Like, blog design was really ugly back oh, yeah. then. I little remember. WordPress? Oh, God. Mine was, like, black with neon colors. Like, uh, it was so, so good. Tragic. And all the fonts, different size. So tragic. Um, there, People were just getting started blogging. Like, a lot of people were blogging about their lives. It was kind of like the time mom blogging got big and food blogging was just starting. People weren't making any money off of it. So it was really a passion. Um, at least in the food blogging world. And then I would say it didn't really pick up and get financially lucrative for a lot of people until like 2012, 2013. But what made you as someone who sort of just got into food, Mm -hmm. who loved to eat but had a very small repertoire, want to start adding in that extra weight and time and pressure to make a blog well because i was living here in la and my family was back in arizona at the time and i wanted to share with them and i wanted to share with all my i basically wanted to brag to everyone that i learned how to make fish okay (laughs) and everyone's like cool girl like we did that yeah no my friends didn't even read my friends still probably don't read what's got me cooking like my mom is my number one fan and has commented on every blog post I've ever Shout done. Shout out, that's what moms are for. And then my girlfriends, like, they'll come to my blog when they want a recipe, but they're not, like, avid readers. Now, obviously, it's successful now, and you have a book, and you have over a thousand recipes, and like that, but back then, what is the advice that you would give someone now, or that you wish someone given you... For sure. ...when you got started, and not so much... Because it's so easy to be like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But, like, maybe, like... A month in when no one's reading. Right. So three years ago, I actually ended up doing a very big revamp for What's Gobby Cooking sure. because I didn't know what What's Gobby Cooking stood for. So mm. I would tell someone, figure out what your voice is and what your message is and do it. Like if I go back and look at my stuff eight or nine years ago, it is all over the place. Like there's no cohesive thread. Sure. But do you think that people have room to find that thread? For sure. You know, nobody can tell your story except for you. Right. So would you just tell people to get started? Absolutely. Like you just start and it's not going to be pretty at first. Mine certainly (laughs) wasn't, but you need to like find your voice and your rhythm and whatever you want to do and make it work. So as you're doing the, the cooking, the chefing, you, you've, you've graduated, you're doing the blog. Um, when did things start to 
coalesce into going like I have something here. Yeah, so it was probably when I rebranded What's Gotta Be Cooking about I think it was almost four years ago now. And I came I, I like word vomited to one of my mentors for like a week and she's like, this is so easy. Like, you're the California girl, obviously. Like, nothing's cr- crazy complicated. All the recipes are very approachable and balanced. Done. And I was like, a light bulb moment right. went off in my head. And all of a sudden, things started coming together because I had this thread that I was telling throughout everything, whether it was on Instagram or my blog or on Snapchat or whatever I was using. Um, I had a consistent point of view, and people could really relate to that and pick up on it. And then things started really hitting it from there. And how easy was it to stay focused once you had a clear point of view? Like, was it, you know, I'm sure once you start getting notoriety, it's easy to get distracted by some early successes. Like, how did you keep it all streamlined? Yeah, well, I'm super organized. Okay. I live for a to-do list. Great. So that's incredibly helpful. And also, like, just knowing I kind of live by this and we people make fun of it all the time but I live by this saying like is it on brand yeah so now that I know what my brand is I think about that for everything I'm doing and if it's on brand great like let's go for it if it's not like we have to pass you know it's just consistency now for the unfortunate people who have not had time to delve into the blog so sorry I'm so sorry (laughs) Um, take me through it because there's a bunch of different sections I mean it really is a full sort of 360 lifestyle yeah. Type of approach from yeah. meal planning to travel to everything, but right. talk me through it. So, what's got me cooking started as just a food blog, and I would do recipes. And I think now I think I have seventeen hundred recipes or something ridiculous on the site. It's aggressive. And you made all of them. I made all of them, and I've eaten all of them. Wow. That's why I work out all the time. And then from there, my parents take us on this thing every year called Surprise Vacation, and it's a trip where we don't know where we're going, and we've been doing it since I was nine, and we get clues leading up to it. And so five or six years ago, I started sharing the clues on the blog and people were in it to win it. Like my dad would get emails at two in the morning, people trying to figure out these clues. Can you give me an example of a clue and the place? Yeah. So 10 years ago, we, one of the clues was noisy sheep, tasty pig, ah. Okay. Noisy sheep says ba, a tasty pig is a ham, ah. Oh. We were going to the Bahamas. But, like, that's kind of an easy clue. They've gotten progressively harder and weirder as we've gotten older and smarter. Um, So, anyways, I started talking about Surprise Vacation, which led to me talking about more travel and doing guides to different cities. And then I started getting into entertaining. So I would do, like, you know, here's how to do a paella party and everything to make for it. So it's turned into more of a lifestyle destination than just recipe blog. And also it's sort of just with pop culture and everything as well, like food, travel, entertainment. It all goes together. It all together. People that love to eat also travel and entertain. Like people, they're good people. So I'm just trying to write about what everybody wants. And it's what my life is about. Awesome. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the first cookbook, which is probably the most California book ever, ever, because it's <laughs> literally dedicated to the avocado. Yep. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs>
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are sitting, drinking our kombucha with Gobby Dalkin, uh, author of what's Gobby Cooking, Everyday California Food, second book. Yeah. Number two, but there was number one. There was. Which was a book completely dedicated to the avocado. Yeah. And uh, it came out as a joke. Like it came about as a joke. Well, it's 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 titled Absolutely Avocado. Yeah. Um, did it come out of the website? Did it come out of the blog? So back in the day, this was like seven years ago when I signed the deal. It was when people were really still talking on Twitter, like having full conversations sure. with other people and connecting and like making really, really whatever. It was it was fun. It was what Instagram is now. Um, and I was known as the food blogger who was obsessed with avocados. Yeah. So I was having dinner with this, uh, with this editor in New York and he's like, I'm really trying to figure out the next generation of, um, authors and what they want to write about. What would you write about? I was like totally joking and I was a little tipsy and I was like, avocados, duh. Right. Of course. And he was like, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And then he bought it and I was like, oh. I got to come up with 80 avocado recipes now. So I did. And my husband developed an allergy to them for a hot second. And now we're back in the game. So I'm sure that there's like a base 20 or 25 that come to mind easy. Right. And then maybe the next 30 are like, okay, it's a stretch. But what were those last, like, 25, it. like... Avocado ice cream. Sure. Avocado banana bread. Any of the desserts, basically, are sure. a real stretch. They're good, but, like, I don't know. Now, looking back at it, if I'm going to have a chocolate chip cookie, I want it with butter. I don't yeah. want it with avocado. No, 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 no. So, the desserts were a little bit of a stretch, but the rest of them, like, they're great. There's salads, there's appetizers, there are main courses. There's a little bit of everything for everyone in the book. I mean, that's like, a lot of avocado. It's a lot of avocado. And so during this time, uh, this was still sort of a side hustle, right? Very much a side hustle. I was still private chefing at the time every day, like 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So I would go private chef. I'd come home. I'd recipe test. I'd write the blog at like 10 o'clock at night. I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> when did you decide to go full-time? When the first book came out. Okay. So that's when I was going on a very abbreviated book tour. Sure. And I was like, I can't just leave my clients that I private chef for like high and dry. I think I need to step away so they can find someone to take over full-time. And if I'm going to make a go at making What's Got Be Cooking my full-time gig, this is my moment. Now, how did you take that leap? Did you start working with brands? Was there enough money from the book? Were you getting ads on the website? Because it's like, it's one thing to have the blog. Yeah. And it's one thing to cut the safety net of a job. How did you yeah, it pull was, that ripcord? The blog was making a decent amount of money at the time. I was, it was, I was making money off of ads. I was doing like very small brand integrations for like a couple hundred bucks. Um, and how would that work? Would some brand just come to you? Come straight to me. I'd negotiate it. I wouldn't even negotiate it. I would take whatever they offered me. And like $200, great. That pays for groceries for a couple weeks. Like done. I'll take it. And I had saved money from private chefing. Sure. So that gave me a little bit of a cushion to like go out and do it for six months. And if I failed, I could always go back. Um, and I did. It, it worked. So I was okay. And I slowly started you know, growing my audience. I eventually signed with a manager who now negotiates all my brand contracts for awesome. me, which is very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously you had the first book, mm -hmm. but in many ways, the new book with Gobby cooking feels like the 
first real book. Yeah. And I don't mean that as an insult because... I, I don't take it as an insult. Uh, but this really feels like encapsulates who you are. It's your storyline. It's it's what you would think of the natural progression. Yeah. Um, despite having a fun little... Yeah. But it's it, must like have, it must have been good to get the avocado book done just because you go, okay, I know I can write a book. I know I can climb this mountain. Yeah. It probably made writing the book that meant so much more. Without a doubt. And I learned how to write a recipe... Exactly, like I know exactly how it, it was very educational sure. for me, and I knew what to ask for when I got this book deal. Like, I right. knew I wanted creative control over how it looked and who the photographer was, and all that kind of stuff. So, that was very helpful for me. You have beautiful pictures, thank you. Who do you work with? Matt Armanderas, shout him out, my best friend, and his husband Adam Pearson is the food stylist, and the three of us do all the photos together for the book, for the blog, Instagram, everything. They are my two, like, they're my two, they're my second and third husband besides my actual husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who is Thomas, right? Thomas, yeah. Is Thomas okay with that relationship? Thomas is so okay with that because when I get, like, obnoxious, he's like, just go hang with Matt. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, what's your setup? What, what do you mean? Um, studio? Yeah, they home. have a studio down in Long Beach. When did you take, when did you go from out of your at-home kitchen yeah. to like a more sort of official setup? Probably right when I rebranded What's Gobby Cooking okay. full-time, so three or four years ago. And I used to shoot everything at home on my counter with a point-and-shoot and flash. It was real aggressive and ugly. And we've slowly been redoing all my old recipes because some of them are my most favorite. And Matt and Adam shoot everything now. Awesome. So let's talk about the book a little bit, okay? So, 125 plus recipes, which you culled down from the 1700. Yeah. Um, no, how they're did, all new. They're all new? Yeah. They're oh. not from the blog. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Okay. There are a few blog favorites in there, but for the most part... For the most part. Okay. Because yeah. I thought I saw a few yeah. other favorites in there. Okay. So, how did you start planning this? Because it sort of is... It's got breakfast. It's got... Uh, entertainment. I mean, it very yeah. much feels like a full approach to it, but what made you want to pick these recipes and go into this approach? Yeah, so there was a lot of Q&A with my audience. Um, back in the day when Snapchat was still super relevant, I would ask wow, people. Wow, shots know. fired. I know. I Trust me, I'm like the biggest Snapchat fan, and the new like update just kind of is brutal. I know. I was the diehard, though. Anyways, but when I would be at the seafood market, I would ask if they wanted clams or mussels or... If I was doing a flank steak, if you wanted this kind of rub or this kind of rub. And so there was a lot of, you know, asking people what they were looking for um, to develop where I ended up. But when I pitched the book, the recipe list was completely different. Really? Yeah. I just ended up changing it. I wanted new things. I would like be inspired by something I saw at a restaurant or the farmer's market. So it really changed in the year I took to write it. Well, one of the things I love about the book is at the very beginning, you have instructions on how to build what I would say your California pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the California pantry? And then how does that sort of differ from, let's say, maybe a Alabama pantry? Yeah. Well, I think the thing about being a California girl is that you can be, you can kind of be a California girl no matter where you are. It's state of mind, right? Yeah. It's all state of mind. It's how you build your pantry. It's how you approach cooking. It's all about balance. So the pantry is, you know, things that everyone has in their pantry, olive oil, quinoa, chocolates, different spices, things like that, and then really featuring things that are in season along with that. And then a full avocado larder. Obviously. Right? Obviously. Like, you have to buy them raw hard so they ripen on your counter so no one, like, <laughs> bruises them but you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things I also love about the book, um, 
is a sentiment of that perfect is overrated. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that is because when you think of California food and when you think of that, it's not that rustic doesn't come to mind, but you think California, okay, I have to have the perfect tomato. I have to go to the farmer's market. I have to get these white strawberries. You know, it just, it becomes so much pressure that you don't even get in the kitchen. Right. So how did you sort of come to that idea that perfect can be overrated and as a hindrance? Yeah, that's a great question, which I've never really thought about before. But I think, I, I just think being perfect isn't fun. Right. Like when I'm doing an Insta Live or a Snapchat, people love seeing a real kitchen and you when you mess up, you spill, whatever. Like I think that makes it more approachable. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are so intimidated to cook, it's endearing. Um, so I'm just, I'm not interested in like putting together the most perfect thing that's like gorgeous in every which way. I want something that's going to be delicious, doesn't take you a lot of time, and that you feel great about serving. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is about recipes that you would share with people. Absolutely. Um, and some of the recipes in there actually come, some other people in your life make cameos in the book as well. For sure. Your husband Thomas has a breakfast burrito, your dad has barbecued chicken. Mm -hmm. um, how did you pick the recipes that have obviously inspired your life, been in your life, and then sort of make them your own. Yeah, so like my dad's barbecue chicken, my mom has a cucumber salad in the book. These are things we grew up eating. Yeah. There's a taco skillet bake that my mom used to make, and it was just like taco seasoning, taco meat, cheese, done. Right. And so I've put my California spin on it and like made my own taco seasoning or like added some tomatoes, added, done a different spice rub, um, and made it into my own. Uh, and how have people felt when they see their recipes? They love it. Yeah. Yeah, they're so pumped. I mean, my mom is thrilled. She doesn't even love cooking, but she has like three recipes in the book or something. She feels great. <laughs> Does anyone ever be like, forget that you've judged their version up and been like, yeah, that's as good as I made it. And you're like... No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my dad, there's another recipe in the book for my dad. It's a beer bread. and it's just like, Oh, that beer bread it, looks awesome. It's so good, but he makes just a very simple beer bread, and I'm like, I want pepper jack and bacon yeah. and scallions and jalapenos and all these things in it. And he's like, yeah, that's really good. That's a great idea. I'm like, you should make it like yeah. this. Take my, it and yeah. run. <laughs> beer bread is something of our parents. My mom makes a killer beer bread. It's so good. I know. Slather some butter on it, a little salt. I feel like Ooh. it's not a, It's not well known. Let's well bring seen. it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do have a whole section of the book devoted to carbs. Yes. Which, again, not, not what you'd expect from California. <laughs> uh, what made you want to put a... Like, it's literally... It's carbs, not carbs, it's not one carbs. or two no, it's, it's, bread things here. It's a whole carb <laughs> section. <laughs> well, okay. Pasta and pizza are my lifelines. Like, yeah. you can't say no to either of those. And I, I think it's interesting, being in L.A. all the time, like, no one eats carbs. Like, yeah. women don't eat carbs. And it's so boring. Like, I know. you want to go out and have a pizza or a bowl of pasta and just, like, enjoy yourself. Granted, do it in moderation sure. if you want, but... You can't you can't deny yourself of anything. So I'm all about that carb life. What's your favorite carb uh, recipe in the book? In the book, currently I'm obsessed with the jalapeno and pepperoni pizza. Ooh, it's delicious. You know the pizza thing is a good example of what I like about this cookbook too, because you you show people a lot of bases mm -hmm. of just like here's your basic pizza dough, and then you give them variations of yeah, it. Yeah, throughout the seasons. Yeah, throughout the seasons, which mm -hmm. is great, even though you don't always think of California as seasonal. Right. It actually is very seasonal. It's just yeah. that. You can grow something in every season. Yeah, it's true. Um, but what made you want to offer variations instead of being like, "This is my like, this is my one pizza recipe." Yeah, because I I do make different pizzas depending on the season. Like I'm very much inspired by the Santa Monica Farmers Market in Hollywood on Sundays. Sure. And whatever's there, I will somehow take home and take turn it into a pizza. 
So I think a lot of those recipes, and just like like there's a pizza for for the fall, it has pulled pork on it. Mm. You're not gonna eat that in like the spring or the summer. Don't tempt me. I mean, you don't tempt me with a good time. But like you're making pulled pork for game days and all that, which is in the fall and the winter. So like, why not repurpose that pork and put it on a pizza, and have you know for whatever. Of course. Now the pulled pork is awesome. The beer bread is awesome, and that recipe of like, what's your favorite recipe is sort of a terrible thing. But which of these recipes in the new book sort of best capture the story of who you are or encapsulate your journey? Great question. Great question. Um, man, that's so hard to pick a favorite. I would say that some of the salads are really near and dear to my heart because mm-hmm. I think so often people don't like salad because they just make boring salads. Sure. But they can be really entertaining and vibrant and colorful and have so many different textures. Um Gosh, there's a strawberry cheesecake popsicle in the book, mm. which I feel like is kind of the, it's like my past life as a really picky eater and like my life is now eating everything coming together. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I love them all. You love them all. <laughs> Can't pick your favorites. No. So it's been a long journey, mm-hmm. you know, from eating buttery noodles <laughs> to now having 700 recipes to cook or something like that. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who sort of would want to go on the same journey that you've gone on? Yeah, I would say kind of what I said earlier, be like, figure out what your voice is and then be authentic. Like, don't try and do something you can't speak to. It's not gonna, it's not gonna come out well. People are gonna see through it and it's just not worth your time, like to try and be something you're not. So figure out what you want to say and do it. Awesome. Well, Gabby, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sorry we're ending this with a trash can dumping right outside. <laughs> that, such is life. Such is life. I feel like that's like the buzzer. It's like wrap it up. <laughs> Time wrap to it go. Up. Time uh, to go. But where would uh, people get the book if they want and should get this book? Yeah, the book's available everywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. There's a whole section on my blog dedicated to it with the various links to independent bookstores and all that jazz. So Awesome. What's GabbyCooking.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank Can't you. wait to cook from Thank this book. Uh, we have another song from the archives, uh, then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Super duper awesome place. Robertus is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Uh, we have Active Bird Community here in studio. Hello, boys. How's it going? Hey. You want to go around the shipping container and introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Tom. I'm Andrew. Hey, <laughs> it's, it's Quinn, Quinn and Zach. Zach. Uh, well, okay. share a mic, share a voice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys grew up together. Yes. We ha- Hastings on Hudson, mm-hmm. which is a great town name. Does anyone ever abbreviate it? Like H-O-H? Oh, yeah. You better believe it. Yeah. Yeah, like what's the... what's the, Use it in a sentence for me. Um, I love H-O-H. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> what it be. I died for, I'll die for that town. Has anyone said that? Probably. Probably. Yeah. And like a lyric... Oh yeah. yeah, or an affirmation. A lot of good rap groups come from really? that. No, not really. No. Oh, okay, uh, you all met when you were super young in middle school. Mm-hmm. How old were you, and how old are you now? Uh, we're all like twenty-four, I think. Right? And how old were you when you met? Like second grade, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. we we started the band when we were eleven, but we knew each other, you know, uh, on the when we were playing outside and stuff like that. Uh, were you all playing music at the same time, or were you able to guide someone's like, well, we've already got vocals and guitar, so we're going to really need you on drums, or we're going to need you on um, rhythm? I think I started taking guitar lessons when I was in fourth grade, and then our previous drummer, Quinn, joined the band like a, a couple years ago, so he we didn't grow up together. Yeah. He's an outlier. He's not part of the original core group. But still from HOH. No, not even. No. No, I'm from Fotown, Phoenix, AZ. Valley of the Sun. Yeah. So he's in, he's uh, not as important as the rest of us, mm-hmm. but we <laughs> met... <laughs> I don't is there, know. Is there a deep shame? This is actually just an intervent. Is there a deep shame? It's okay. You're in a safe space. No, I, I feel very... Uh, these, these people empower me. They lift me up and they... Put you down. They put me down. <laughs> Sometimes they put me down. More I mean, often for, than not, for a band that writes about relationships and people i should hope so yes i should hope so there's a, always a yin yang to everything that we do yes so you formed there was an original force but three of you stuck together and same right. band name same everything from yep. 11 till now mm-hmm. how has it evolved oh how has it evolved i think um starting at a young age you don't really have any opinions on music when you're that <laughs> little like you don't know what it is so you just kind of go off of like i want to play rock music because that's loud and like you can yell and like do whatever you want so our tastes kind of developed through through the band, I think. I think through writing music, we kind of figured out the kind of music that we like. Um, so in that sense, I think there was an evolution in our sound. We didn't kind of... If we started, you know, two years ago, I think it'd be like, let's make this, like, indie rock band that sounds like X, Y, or Z, and, like, I love this music. It would be a lot more... Uh, 
I think, premeditated and conscious of itself, but I think it evolved through just us experimenting a lot with each other and our own tastes. Well, it's interesting. When people form bands in their mid to late 20s, they're all coming from different experiences, different tastes and everything. I mean, it's pretty collective. You know, you start at 11, you're probably all spending your time together. Yeah. Has there been any influences that you can call that one person has brought into the other, or has it been almost this communal brotherhood shared experience where you're all discovering things at the same time and, and coming from the same focus point? Um, I think we discovered a lot of things at the same time, but there are also things that um, I think each individual bandmate like brought in, probably from like our parents or like older simbl- siblings or something like that. Oh, what were the parents and older siblings' influences? Um, all right, I'll go first. My dad loves like New Wave and loves the Pixies. So the first show he took me to was like a Pixie show at Jones Beach. I was in fifth grade, and I got this... Um, shirt of black francis kind of like naked hunched over um and it looks like he's either holding like his dick or he's giving a thumbs up and it's unclear and i wore that probably both to school yeah (laughs) when i was in fifth grade and it made my teacher uncomfortable but no one told me to take it off but so i don't know i don't know if that's an influence for our band but i just definitely a musical the shirt was i remember it (laughs) you remember that shirt right? oh of course classic um yeah uh my dad was super into like, classic rock, so, you know, like The Doors, uh, The Beatles, Bob Dylan, you know, standards, standards. at this point. But um, at a young age, I just didn't get it at all, and I liked whatever bullshit I was listening to on YouTube. Um, but then in high school, I was like, okay, this is fucking amazing. Like so, an epiphany moment. Yeah, which was, which was cool. I remember, like, being 16 and being like... Led Zeppelin one is amazing. You know what I mean? Like I'm You're so like, happy. Guys, guys, guys. Yeah. Paul and John. Yeah, no, that exactly. could be us. <laughs> yeah. So Dad, um, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh my dad raised me on the Grateful Dead. Uh major deadhead. Uh we saw John Mayer rip it with the dead just a couple months ago at City Field. How does he feel about John Mayer stepping in? He I think he John Mayer's really good. Honestly, John, if you're listening, I'm a huge fan. Uh, really, he it, he's an amazing performer. Um, but it's weird going to Grateful Dead shows because it's like the only show that I feel like I go to where like anyone under the age of 50 is like the outlier at you know at the show, which is like most you know in most cases when I bring my dad out to shows, you know he's kind of the old man in the back. Uh, but when we go to these Grateful Dead shows, I'm kind of like the you know, I have no idea what I'm really watching because I didn't really experience that band. So it's cool. Um, my parents' tastes were probably closer to Andrew's. A lot of the old standards, classic rock that my dad listened to. Also, a lot of Frank Sinatra. A lot of a lot of that. And we lived in Phoenix, so it was like my parents were trying to avoid listening to all of the country music that their <laughs> friends in Phoenix, Arizona, would listen to. So they would try and listen to like 80s classic rock just like anything but country so i just grew up pretty much trying to avoid country music but i've come to appreciate pretty much everything at this point and have you two always shared songwriting responsibilities i think so yeah i mean it's it's changed over the years you know i mean when we first started the band when we were 11 tom was the only one that knew how to write a song so he was like the you he, can go yeah first. yeah exactly <laughs> like and and it was like this band has been like song by song we when we started we had one song or two songs and we're like this feels so good let's go to the next song and now we're here you know um, I remember an early album I think I sang most of it 
Um, and then there's an album where I only have like one or two songs and now it's it's changed but I don't know that freedom has always been there we've always just loved to like write together I think also um, there's no again we, yeah we've been doing it for so long blah 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 but like there's no stress of like I'm not going to get my moment or my chance because we're just going to do this forever so it's not like there's no time concern about like I didn't get enough of my voice on this record or I didn't write enough songs. So it's just like, I'll just fucking do it on the next one. It's like, oh, there's 10 songs. You have six and I have four. Yeah. So we need to like, get one of the really good songs out for my mediocre one. Right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also like a song that like, t- let's say Tom isn't singing. He's, you know, playing guitar or like soloing mm-hmm. and like same for me. So, you know, it's, it's a good time. Can we hear a song? Sure. Hell yeah. What are you uh, going to play for us first? So we're going to play our newest single. It's called Baby It's You. Um, and I actually sang this one. Here we go. Active Bird Community, live on Snacky Tunes. I don't know why, why I want this, this to be yours, just for you. I don't care for what you care for for I am only just for you and it breaks my heart too cause baby it's you baby it's you oh it breaks my
A lot of your record deals with this really interesting dichotomy of the pain of experiences and the empowering nature of forgiveness. I definitely was not thinking about that when I was 24. Uh, when did these, when did you evolve from just a kid being like, I want to play rock because it's loud into the psychology and kind of the depth of your songwriting? Well, how did that evolve and when did that begin to creep in and become a focal point of the songs that you were writing? I think um, ever since a young age, the songs that we would write were pretty, what, like serious or like trying to uh, be in depth, even though if we didn't really know what that meant or how to do it. Um, but I think it became, I got, at least for me personally, I got more comfortable with it on, on this record, being like a little bit more honest about certain experiences or trying to speak to things that have actually happened to me in my life and be like a little less vague uh, about stuff. And that's scary because you have a band, you're with like your, your friends, you're like, we can just play music because it feels good. Like I don't, this place doesn't have to be something where I am digging deep into things that make me uncomfortable or like I want this to be like a happy fun place which is cool for a while you know like through high school into college that was like a good it's fun but I think at sometimes you need to as a group kind of like dig in a little more and I think with this with this record that was kind of us doing that and it took a lot of like communication and trust what was, what was that communication well I think we had never really written a record like all at once together and we're like every every note every word on this record was something that we all agreed on as opposed to like i got this song and just got that one let's get to like eight or nine and then we're done um so i think the communication was like i'm gonna sing some songs about like my relationship with my mom or like i'm gonna explore like divorce or like growing up this way and not really knowing what was going on or like feeling like you want to just throw your life away. Like, I'm going to talk about some of that shit and like say some names of people. And since you guys are in this band, I want you to like be okay with that. And luckily they're all just like fucking hell yeah, let's do that. And did that come in like, Hey guys, I got a demo or was it a group discussion where the four of you sat down and said, this is the direction we're going to go in because it's time. And we can't just keep pretending that these are on the surface songs or just, I don't know. I think it. I'm just. We went to Stone Harbor, New Jersey, where Quinn's family lives, and they were like, so generous and like, just opened up this part of their house where we can just set up and like demo and make songs together. And I knew at least for me, I was like, um, I, I'm gonna try and write as many songs as I can. I'm gonna try and be as like honest and just like, and just be truthful. Um, and when we started writing these songs, at first it was kind of just on like a surface level, like I like these songs, let's play these. We're thinking more of like the structure of the music. Um, and then we had one night we were up until like three in the morning and like was really drunk, and I just like had to like get it off my chest what the song amends, uh, which is on the record, is about, um, which I don't really feel like going to do right now. But after I explained that to them, uh, it was a vulnerable moment, even with people I've known forever. And I think the way that you guys responded to that was like really. Uh, beautiful and also just like empowering and it became very clear to me that they were going to stand behind whatever I had to say no matter what and not be like dude can we just play like four chords and like get a catchy hook or whatever like it, it wasn't like that at all it was like you guys were all on board and I thought that was awesome and how does that change the music behind the lyrics it's a really interesting point where it's like we're not just gonna play like four chords happy music how does that change the instrumentation and the notes that you're putting or even the rhythms that you're playing behind the songs 
I think for us, you know, especially with our songwriting, um, you know, we've never felt this pressure to like actually, you know, write something with a theme that connects and has this whole message behind it. We've always just kind of, especially, you know, the three of us who've been together for so long have shared these experiences. And so when Tom brings something to the table, um, you know, obviously we support him with everything he does, but you know, there is some level of understanding that comes with growing up with someone um, and wanting to support them. And in terms of, you know, the instrumentation, you know, I think uh, a lot of the songs that get brought to the practice space or wherever we are, um, we all kind of work together to turn them into what they end up being. Um, and we all kind of, you know, work together. And I think, you know, when Quinn joined the band, that was a huge uh, step in a new direction for us in terms of how we were composing our songs um, and, you know, the direction we wanted to go in, especially with this album. Yeah, when I when I joined this band, I was definitely... An outsider, like in many ways. I met Tom at college in Fordham, and I had seen Active Bird Community play, and was always blown away by their live sound, their live presence. Everybody knew who they were and, and wanted to be next to them and listening to them, and it was just magnetic. And I was lucky enough to just get close to these three guys and just join the band. But I think that the lyrics on Amends are the most personal lyrics to date for this band. And the music is almost coherent with those lyrics in the sense that they're digging deeper and they're trying to do something that just hasn't been done before in this project. You know, both of the music and the lyrics are sort of trying to tackle the same odds of <clears throat> just changing direction. Changing direction and looking inward as opposed to looking outward and tackling the, the scary monsters that you think about and would rather not sing about, but we're going to do it anyway. Can we hear another song? Sure. What are you going to play for us? This one's called Unwind With Me. Frustrated 
cut your teeth to catch the tide on the world on a shirt of what it's worth want something more to say you know you can't You are on the precipice of a new record coming out mid-September in Barsouk, Amends. How's it feel? While it is still, it's done, but it's not out, what are the emotions? Uh, off the bat, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's so fucking scary. Uh, but it's great at the same time. If you're thinking about it strictly from a music perspective, like, I made these songs, I can't wait to show everybody. That's great. Like, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and that's basically what it is at the end of the day. But, you know, all of the time and the preparation to roll them out in a way that you think is coherent, in a way that you think people will connect to it, like all that behind-the-scenes planning, really just gives you a lot of time to get in your head about things. What are you in your head most about, all of you? Yeah, Each we- and every one of you. What are you in your head the most about that could go well or could be like, I can't. Why, why are we doing this? Turn off the lights. Pull the cover over the head. Uh, I guess it, it has to do with the personal nature of a lot of it. Um, you know, it's like, do people... First of all, you're like, do people even give a shit about, you know, whatever personal things I have to say? Another thing is, like, will they understand it? Will the people that are closest to me that are probably implicated in the songs uh, appreciate that or be a little weirded out? Um just kind of like, how is this going to come off? And again, that's like my gut feeling. That's like the on the surface how I feel. But at the end of, at the end of the day, we realize that this is about something that we've been doing for so long. So that feeling quickly goes away because, like I said before, every decision we made was agreed on. We didn't leave that studio being like, fuck, like we should have done this. Like uh, hopefully no one will notice that. Or like we left feeling really confident. And I still feel confident in that way. Uh, yeah, what about you? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just... Uh, I'm excited for people to hear it and to connect with it. I think, um, you know, my favorite part about songwriting is uh, hoping that it will help somebody on the other side. Um, because I've, you know, experienced that with so many other people's songs and music, you know. Um, so... 
the chance that anybody out there will hear it and uh, it might help them in a moment, like, that's exciting. Um, so I'm really excited for that. Feeling good about it. I think that, you know, it's difficult to manage our expectations sometimes, especially, you know, leading up to this release because you put so much time and energy and thought and just, like, your entire being, essentially, into creating something like this, like an album. Um, and then it just kind of, like, goes into the world and you all, we all kind of just cross our fingers for, you know, this quote-unquote success. Um, but I think we have been pretty good about, you know, leveling ourselves and kind of, you know, just touching base on why we started doing this and why we're doing it in general. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, when you think about it, it has very little to do with, you know, how well the album is going to do or what this is going to mean for us moving forward. It's more about us maturing and like, you know, continuing our careers in music. Um, and really focusing on each other and, like, what we're trying to do and just trying to forget about, like, you know, is this album going to sell X amount of copies or, you know, are these shows all going to be sold out? Because that's, you know, once you get in your head about that kind of stuff, it becomes very, very difficult to cope with, you know, what's going on. Um, and you kind of just have to remove yourself from that whole uh, mentality. Um, I think as the drummer, with the drummer's perspective, I don't have a direct line to the self-conscious insecurities that a lyricist has about their lyrics um, or their music. So I can confidently say that every song on this album is just amazing. I think it's incredible. And I, but I don't, I don't carry with me you know, the self-conscious feelings that somebody has when they write words about something very personal. I, I get to do what I've done since I got to Fordham, which is watch... Tom, Zach, and Andrew perform. I look at their backs, and it's always amazing like to watch them. And I'm just a part of something that's a lot larger than myself, and I, I'm just I'm really excited about the record in general because of that, coming from that perspective, is a lot of weight off my shoulders. But I'm terrified because they let me sing a song on the record, <laughs> and I'm pretty scared about that. But overall, <laughs> I'm not really scared. I think the record's dope. We're terrified too. It's a really yeah, good song. <laughs> does, does this mean that you will also be doing it live for the upcoming tour? Yeah, that's TBD. Yeah, how TBD? You're it's, saying it's yes, D. It's, 100%. it's D. It's a, there's it's no a, T or B. It's a D. Yeah, just get ready. Mm-hmm. And are, is it going to be the awkward moment where we have to like pull the microphone down and we says, switch? Oh, you switch? Yeah, oh, yeah. So you're like dead front and center. Yeah, you heard it here first. Oh, amazing. We're switching. We're switching how, it up. How are your uh, dance moves? That's TBD as well. Okay. That'll be, yeah, it's a hard TB. Yeah, you've got some time in the van. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Um, you're coming, you're going out on tour. Mm-hmm. The record comes out in September. We want to make sure we have time for one more song. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. Where can people find you, listen to the record, pre-order the record, check out tour dates? Slater, what's up? Uh, we have a dope website. It's really <laughs> sick. It's um, www.activebirdcommunity.com. Not taken. Uh, yeah, only two W's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess if you started when you were 11, it was definitely like Wild Wild West of the internet. So you yeah. Oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got yeah, that yeah, domain early like, on. I was First. like 13. I was like, I, I don't know how to make a website, but I'll just buy this fucking, you know. It's still like 99 cents a, a month. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been paying for it for years. That's why I'm broke. Andrew's never domain. paid for the website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find everything there. Uh... 
our Instagram has the link in it too to find all our stuff, and it shouldn't be too that. hard. You know, if you search Active Bird Community in Google, it's pretty much us or like some bird watching stuff. So just sort through that. You should be able to find it. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming by. Thank, Thank you. you to Chef Gabby Dalkin as well. Make sure to check out her new cookbook. What are you going to take us out with? Uh, we're going to do a cover of Neil Young. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. This is the last episode of the summer session. Enjoy the rest of August and wherever your long weekend may take you. And we'll be back in September with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Take us out. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member.
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.